feels like they've never been away. Norwich City start their championship campaign with a defeat in South Wales at Cardiff City. Probably not the start Dean Smith, Craig Shakespeare or anyone associated with the club would have wanted as they attempted to shift the narrative after what was a very disappointing Premier League campaign last year. We'll be picking the bones out of that game. Uh, I'm Connor Southall, joined by Sam Seaman. And we've also dipped into the summer transfer window to... uh, to secure the services of Will Jennings, new uh, pinking columnist, also a journalist at Sportsbeat, Norwich City fan as well. who's part of the 1300 who made the trip to the Welsh capital yesterday to dissect this one. He's joined us on an emergency loan for this week whilst uh, Paddy Dowett enjoys some time off in Ireland. And uh, you're listening, of course, to the pinking.com Norwich City podcast in association with Future Radio. It's the show that is going to hopefully have a better connection amongst the front three than Norwich City had in uh, in Wales on Saturday. Um Sam, I guess the obvious question to start this show is, and we're going to delve into this in a bit more detail, it's quite an open question to start, but how concerned should we be by Norwich City's opening day defeat to, to Cardiff? Well, I, I was majorly concerned, to be honest. I think I, I had earmarked this as the time when we were going to find out what Norwich City were and probably the best time to assess what they're going to be going into the championship season. And I obviously understand um, rightfully that you can't take everything based off the first game of the season. But um, there should have been something in there in the 90 minutes that suggested they were going to be up there. I thought there were a couple of things that maybe showed that they could have been in and around mid-table, but there was very little there that looked like a a promotion side um, in waiting. And yeah, it was generally it was just quite worrying, as you said. I'm sure we'll delve into the specifics, but the the number of issues mounting up is what maybe I, I... thought about a little bit more yesterday than I had for a long while I think I've had concerns about maybe the creativity and playing style um, for a little while now and and that that came into fruition in pre-season a lot as well but um, yeah I thought yesterday there were maybe a few more issues that reared their head that were were quite worrying in terms of Norwich City's championship season and they certainly didn't look like a side that that are going to be up there obviously we have to give them time and um, caveat it with the fact that They've got a couple more new signings still still to, well, one that we're thinking might might still come into the building, but a couple that they've already confirmed that are yet to um, pull on the yellow and green shirt. So, yeah, hopefully they can they can improve massively, but that is what it's going to be, it's what it's going to need to be. It's going to have to be a, a massive improvement if they're going to be where they want to be this season. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's interesting. I mean, you mentioned around the new signings of, uh, I think it was NCFC Numbers who tweeted. I think it's the first time since, uh, I'm going to double check this while I'm speaking, but I think he said the first time since 1998 that Norwich have started uh, a season with effectively no new signings, which is quite um, an incredible place to be, particularly when you kind of add the context of last season and how difficult that was. Dean Smith described the, the squad as having a losing culture towards the end of the the, the campaign. Um, I was right, it was 98-99. Um, and also kind of this mentality point that we kind of saw last season, them crumbling under pressure, uh, being beaten probably a lot more heavily than perhaps they should have been. All, all of this sort of leads to concerns. And again, we're going to delve into this into more detail. But I mean, Will, as we mentioned right at the top of the show, you, you were part of that away support. What was the mood like amongst Norwich fans who made the trip to Wales? Was it... Um, Kind of, was there an acceptance? It was the opening day that they are going to need time. That Dean Smith is going to need time, or was it actually probably, as Sam said, some of the concerns that has maybe bled into this season from pre-season, but also from what we saw last year as well? 
Mm, yeah, thanks, Connor. I think, yeah, in terms of the away end, it was a, it was a combination, really. You know, there were people like, you know, like myself, I'm normally sort of a glass half full, sort of relatively optimistic sort of fan, thinking, you know, it is the first game, you know, give Dean Smith and Craig Shakespeare a bit of time, wait for those new signings to come in and really beef up the midfield and add that extra sort of layer of creativity. But on the whole, it was fairly toxic by full time. Sort of, you know, I think my brother said to me at one point, we could play for four hours and not score a goal here. And I think that's the, I mean, that the main issue and the one that, you know, people are sort of flagging on social media, et cetera, is, you know, it is this lack of cohesion. You watch these players and there doesn't really seem to be a sort of strategy, a sort of, you know, a crystallised plan in place for how we're actually going to score a goal. I think, you know, defensively was fine. I thought Andrew Omobarazelli was one of the few positives, you know, really mature on possession, such a classy operator on the ball. Um, obviously, you know, it sounds ridiculous saying defence wasn't an issue when one of your centre-backs gets sent off. But um, I think, you know, that end of the pitch looks fine, but it's just in possession. I thought we left so much to be desired and, I want to give Dean Smith and Craig Shakespeare the benefit of the doubt because, you know, these players, you know, Bob, you know, Mwendia is the, the bulk of it is the squad that went up two years ago, a lot of them four years ago as well. And I think with the addition of, you know, Isaac Hayden, um, Gabriel Sara and obviously Nunez as well, hopefully from Chile, you'd like to think that we have that creativity behind TV Pookie to create more chances. But based on yesterday, it's difficult to sort of muster a huge amount of optimism about where, where a goal is going to come from and how we're going to be at the sharp end of the table, particularly watching Burnley on Friday night. look really impressive under Vincent Company. I think West Brom looked quite sharp yesterday and got a point at Middlesbrough who will also be up there. I think it will be tougher for Norwich this season than many fans anticipated. And the other thing from yesterday, which sort of, again, links to what you said, Connor, about sort of mentality and sort of crumbling in the Premier League when the pressure was on. I thought when when we won one goal down, sort of heads did seem to drop. And when we needed to keep our heads to get back in the game, we completely lost them. And that was shown by, you know, obviously that 22-man melee and Hanley, Hanley's subsequent red, uh, red card. So, um on the whole, I'd, I'd like to give Smith the benefit of the doubt. I'd like to think, you know, when these two or three additions come into midfield that we'll start to score goals. But it's an awful lot of pressure on, you know, a young a young Brazilian, a, a not match fit Isaac Hayden, and then potentially another in Nunez from, from Chile to come in and, you know, the, the expectations on them immediately to deliver and really revolutionise this side. So um, it's um, it wasn't a nice place to be that way in yesterday and sort of, yeah, grim sort of echoes of last season. But uh, I'm still hopeful that, um, you know, hopefully a home win at Wiganson sort of um, really kickstarts our season. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's 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 fascinating kind of what you say there about fan mood, because I, I think that was kind of obvious if you took the temperature on social media after the game last night. There was a lot of people feeling very frustrated, a lot of people um, questioning Dean Smith, to, to be honest, and and kind of his methods and his style. And as we said, this is in, in kind of isolation, Sam. This is one game at the start of the season. Norwich City typically don't start season strongly. We, we said that before the game. We'll say it now as well. I think Chris Gorham had the stat that They've won kind of one of their last 21 opening opening games. And uh, that's, of course, opening games they won uh, two years ago against Huddersfield. But they played Luton in the Cup beforehand, which is why it's only one, uh, which I think was that 4-1 win against Blackburn under Alex Neal. And even then they went on to to finish outside of the playoffs. So we we can't fully say what happens from here. But you're right. It, it's probably more the performance that caused concern. And the fact that the elements of what Norwich City perhaps didn't do from an attacking perspective, as Will very, um, very rightly put, it's probably stuff that is it's not new. They're not new problems, I suppose, is what I'm saying. We, we saw them last season. We saw a struggle to score goals last season. We saw Timu Puki be isolated last season. We saw it in pre-season. It feels like almost a continuation of a theme rather than something that has appeared overnight. Yeah, and I uh, overtook the verdict duties um, as, a, as a result of the... Uh, aforementioned David Holiday, um, and I almost felt bad when I was doing that because I was saying all these things and I thought people have heard me and, and my colleagues talk about this for for weeks and, and they, they must be getting bored. I'm getting bored of talking about the same issues, to be honest, but um, 
yeah, as you say, Tommy Pookie being an isolated and frustrated figure um, who looks quite bored on the pitch. That's becoming a, a very common occurrence. Um, the the lack of creativity, the the view of a number of Norwich players standing on the edge of the box, waiting for something to happen, looking unsure of how to make it happen, is something we're getting used to seeing. So, yeah, it's the same sort of problems um, rearing their heads. And I suppose that's where the sort of no signings argument um, comes in. And, and that's where Dean Smith would add that caveat. But it's also in his job title is the word coach. And he's not just paid to to assemble a team and pick a starting eleven from a group of players supplied to him by Stuart Webber. He is there to make a make players and a group of players as a team better as a whole. And and I haven't seen too much evidence of that in the last couple of months. I think it was maybe slightly easier to see what they were trying to do when Smith first came in. And I thought at least they were open about the fact that maybe they were batting down the hatches a little bit and going for something slightly more pragmatic. Whereas now I spoke to Kenny McLean after the game and, and he was keen to say that they're a high-pressing team that wants possession. And I, I think there were elements of a team that wants to do that, but we're also hearing a lot of noises about athleticism and adding physicality. And it just feels like there's not the same coherence to this football club that there was even 18 months ago, for example. And um, yeah, those are those are the issues that we, we keep talking about, we keep hearing, we keep seeing on the pitch. But the fact that obviously you see it in a championship opener is more alarming. And you couldn't say when people are sort of defending what was going on in pre-season by saying it is pre-season. You can't argue with that because it's true. But as soon as it's laid bare on a championship pitch when Norwich need to perform, that's when it gets really, really worrying. And I think that's why the mood probably dipped significantly among the Norwich City fan base um, about five o'clock yesterday. Yeah, and and I guess it's it's difficult in a sense and and this is where I have real sympathy with Dean Smith I kind of mentioned the the new signings aspect it's really difficult because he's got a group of players that doesn't really feel like they fit together and I use the front three as a really good example of that you've got Milo Rashica who is a player who looks like he wants to play on the counter-attack Timo Puki who is completely reliant on the service that he's given. He's not a striker that manufactures chances for himself, really. Um, usually, as we've seen in, in the last four seasons, five seasons, strives in a possession-based style of play. And then you've got Josh Sargent on the right, who really uh, is someone who wants to press and is keen to press. And then you've got Todd Campbell behind them trying to link them all together in, in some way. And I thought he was very good yesterday. And we'll probably get on to, to Todd a little bit later in the show. But that that just shows maybe what Dean Smith is, is working with, Will, in terms of this squad, because it feels like he's got a lot of odd pieces that almost need to be pulled together as a collective. And at this moment in time, particularly from an attacking perspective, particularly in possession, it feels quite difficult to work out how him and Craig Shakespeare are going to put all those pieces together into something that is cohesive, effective, and that wins at this level. Yeah, 100% couldn't agree more, Connor. It does feel just sort of very imbalanced, like, you know, Dean Smith, you know, been you know, inherited this side and he's trying to implement some sort of system, but just literally hasn't got the tools to, to do it. I mean, we know he's a good coach. We know he's taken Aston Villa up from the championship before. We know what he did at Brentford. His track record speaks for itself. So it is surprising that, you know, it's taken, you know, nothing's clicked yet, essentially. And, you know, like I said before, and I agree with you, Connor, I do, I do have sympathy with Dean Smith and I want to give him the benefit of the doubt, but equally time is ticking. And, you know, I feel like fans are starting to turn 
very quickly. I mean, there's the, the sort of Smith out camp now is probably still fairly limited, but I think, you know, don't get a win at home to Wigan next Saturday lunchtime. And I think sort of pressure will really start to intensify. Um, in terms of the style, I remember being at Birmingham for uh, the first game of Daniel Farker's second season in 2018-19. And when Ona Hernandez scored a couple of late goals and we got a 2-2 draw. And that was brilliant to watch. It felt like every time we had the ball, we had a clear plan, a strategy. We were getting in behind. Timmy Pukki was making those runs. Every Buendia was finally in. We had obviously Hernandez on the wing, whereas... Yesterday, sort of, I, I think, yeah, it hits the nail on the head. We could have, we could have played for hours and just not not found the back of the net. Um, the only other thing I'd, I'd say is, you know, had that Kenny McLean flick gone in and we we, we escaped with a point, we're probably all, all sort of relatively happy thinking, you know, unbeaten start to the season, we go into Wigan with a bit more confidence. But I think, yeah, as you mentioned, Sam, it wasn't necessarily the result. It was the nature of the performance and the manner of the defeat. And then not only we sort of lost our heads at 1-0 down, but equally whenever we had the ball, even during that sort of, 30 minutes of the first half after Cardiff started quite well for the first 10 or 15 minutes. Bar that save that the keeper made from Campbell shot from outside the box, we created very little by way of sort of getting in behind. And Timmy Pukki is cutting a very isolated figure up front. And um, I think, yeah, he is starting to look a little bit sort of disinterested, must be thinking, you know, where are these chances going to come from? And that's where these new signings got a really important role to play. But the only, yeah, my concern with that is, you know, they're still very raw. They've just come in. Isaac Hayden's not match fit. Um, and they're going to have to really step up very quickly if this Norris City side is going to improve. Yeah, the Timmy Pukki thing feels a bit like Grant Holt under Chris Hewton at the moment. Stylistically, just two players uh, or a player in a system that doesn't really seem to be suited to each other. And that, again, is is something that, that Dean Smith is, is going to have to remedy. I mean, obviously, I spoke to Dean Smith after the game. Um, he felt a draw would have been a fair result. I agree with him. I thought it was a nil-nil game, really, beyond, obviously, a, a Romain Sawyer's strike. He thought it was a pass. I'm not quite sure where he got that from, but uh, to me, it looked like a shot anyway. Um, I did take a slight deflection, I think, and, 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 and swerved into the bottom corner. And that was really the only real piece of quality in the game. But as the as the, the, the guys have mentioned, Norwich had one shot on target. Their XG um, that they amassed wasn't particularly great. I think it was 0.32. Uh, Cardiff also, I think 0.08 was even was even less. So that shows that the lack of kind of clear cut opportunities in the game and how much of a low margin game it was. Um, and, and as Will says, I think if this game ended in a draw, the whole conversation and whole debate is probably framed differently, albeit we're probably still talking about the creativity. So maybe the, the obvious question is, Sam, is this now obviously becomes a priority for, for Dean Smith and, uh, and Craig Shakespeare. It's about how they um, resolve those issues at the top end of the pitch. How do they do that? Because the personnel doesn't really look like it's going to change too much. They may add a winger before the end of the window, quite possibly, if, if the finances are there or something pops up that is is doable. But if not, then this is the, the group they have. They, of course, have Kieran Dowell to come back in as well in that area. You could push Todd Campbell up, Danel Sanani. Um, how, how do they solve this? I suppose that's the big question now that is going to be on their shoulders. What is your view? How do they, how do they turn this Norwich side, one that looks quite stodgy, quite disjointed from an attacking perspective, into one capable of scoring goals at a consistent level um, in the Championship? I think if I had the answer to that question, I wouldn't be on this podcast, unfortunately. Um, I will say that it's an issue that's been bubbling in the background for a good long while now. Um, and they knew it was their plan to sell Emi Buendia, you know, towards the, the back end of the 2020-21 campaign. And I remember a period during um, during that season when it was Norwich's sort of mini-wobble. I think they lost 2-0 to Swansea, drew 0-0 with Millwall. And uh, I think Buendia was unavailable, might have been suspension, might have been... Uh, yeah, I think it was... A suspension, and at that point, everybody sort of said, "What on earth would we do without Buendia?" And I'm sure there were some senior figures at the club at that point that knew that was going to be the question going forward. And they've had now 
well over a year to try and answer that question and they haven't been able to. I think maybe more planning should have gone into that and maybe a more realistic view of the fact that Norwich were incredibly reliant upon Emi Buendia. You know, let's not beat about the bush. Tamer Pookie was fantastic, but Buendia, you know, Norwich, in my opinion, don't get promoted if they didn't have Buendia that season. So they've known about this problem for a long time. And I don't think the system change was clear enough last season. I, I've I've always thought, and I thought, you know, going into the potential sale of Emi Buendia, that if they sell him, they're either going to have to sign an incredible player, the likes of which they probably can't afford, or they're going to have to, to change the system. And I think under Daniel Farker in the first few games, it was sort of this strange hybrid of what he actually wanted to do and what he felt was realistic with the players that had been signed. Then Dean Smith comes in and as I referenced, they were a bit more clear about what they wanted to do. But I think now we're back into that sort of odd hybrid. So I would suggest the first step, and I know we keep banging on about this and it's probably getting boring. And a lot of people um, would probably want to highlight that football is a nuanced sport and that under Daniel Farker, Norwich had one of the most identifiable systems in the football league and they, they couldn't get close to staying up in the Premier League. But I think we just need to see a plan for what they actually wanted to do and what they want to do. I think at the moment, it's almost like we've got some great players. Let's stick them out on the pitch and hope that because they're decent at football, they'll they'll get promoted out out of the championship and you just can't do that. You saw how well Cardiff were organised and they, they've they signed 13 players this summer. It's a, a complete overhaul. And with a few weeks together, they've managed to organise a team that was structured and difficult to get past. And they've managed to beat a team that, that was recently in the Premier League. So I think you have to really establish what you want to do. And I don't think we've seen that yet. So, you know, as much as I personally, as a, a football purist, I think I'd, I'd say, I would like to see a sort of passing possession, creative solution in that sense. And I think that would probably be the best setup for Tamer Pookie. I think we'll have to see Gabriel Sara and potentially Marcelino Nunez before we can make that judgment. Um, because if they're not the sorts of creative players that are going to be able to slide those balls in behind, Norwich Norwich can't play that style and there's no point trying. So I think they have to, they have to, I would imagine Stuart Webber probably knows what sorts of players those two are. He's done obviously an enormous amount of scouting before deciding to sign them. If they don't fit that model, then go all in on being physical, being direct, whatever you want to do. And although I'm not a huge fan of that, I'd much rather see that in this strange, indefinable hybrid that we're we're not really seeing what they what they want to do with that at the moment. Yeah, I agree. It's 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 interesting because there's this assumption, uh, and I would say probably externally, but also a little bit internally. Um, kind of what you said there that people are looking at Norwich and uh, you know we did we I did this yesterday you look at, at the team sheet in front of me and you look at their players and you go yeah there's a lot of Milo Rashica for example someone who should a- absolutely be tearing it up at this level he still might um, you know let's let's be honest but that isn't enough for Norwich City to win promotion simply saying they're Norwich City this is what they do they win the championship they come down everyone knows what to expect from them that is not enough to get promoted at this level. Having good individual players as 2016-17 proved is not necessarily good enough to get promoted at this level. You need to be more than that. You need to have a coherent plan, a strategy, um, an idea that when games do get 
chaotic and erratic and teams are going to see Norwich as a big scout. They're going to try and drag them into, and for want of a better phrase, a real championship battle, um, something that is physical. They're going to try and disrupt and um, uh, affect Norwich City's game and rhythm by what kind of what their own doing. And, and that's what Cardiff did effectively yesterday. But actually, I know we keep talking about the two teams that won titles, but both of those had a, a plan, but also quality to stand up to that kind of erraticness and um, that could deal with that adversity with that possession-based style of play, with the quality they had in the squad. And at the minute, yesterday, for example, Norwich were 1-0 down in the game. They turned and, and brought on Jordan Hugel and Onel Hernandez. This isn't not trying to be disrespectful to those players at all. But these are players who weren't really in and around it for either of those title wins and were suddenly being brought on to try and find a goal. Is And I suppose my question around that, which is probably up for, for the listeners to answer really, is does that mean Norwich City's squad has, is, is now weaker than it was because those players have more of a role? Or does it mean that those players have stepped up to a level where they can now be an effective part of Norwich City's squad? I don't know. Maybe it's uh, maybe it's one that we'll, we'll leave hanging in the air. But, Will, I'm sure there will be people listening to this thinking, isn't this all a bit of an overreaction? One game into the championship season, it was a 1-0 defeat. I mean, I've kind of read some of the statistics there. It wasn't a great game of football. It was uh, a shot from outside the box that was heavily, well, looked deflected, that, that kind of won the game for Cardiff. It wasn't one where they created streams of chances. We've already spoken about Norwich City defensively looking quite solid, and, uh, and I would agree with that assessment. Isn't this all a little bit of an overreaction? What would you kind of say to that question, I suppose? Or is it just the reaction has come because of the context that we've kind of spoken about in terms of last season and in terms of what we've seen in pre-season as well? Mm. I can completely see sort of both sides of it. I think, you know, watching that game yesterday is a continuation of pre-season where, you know, we've not seen much from Norwich City in possession and we've really struggled to create any clear-cut opportunities. I think... I think what has maybe intensified the reaction more than anything is that we have just become so used to going back to the championship and winning, you know, playing beautiful football, winning games and bouncing straight back up. And I think, especially under a coach like Dean Smith, who's obviously achieved that before, I think probably people did expect us, especially with a winnable looking fixture away, you know, Steve Morrison led Cardiff. That looked like a game that we could go and really hit the ground running in and sort of get off to a flyer. So I think that has probably intensified sort of the reaction. And I think, Another thing as well, sort of, we've gone from Daniel Farker. I saw a lot of people on Twitter last night, for example, saying, you know, we should have never have sacked Farker. His football was brilliant. The championship would get straight back up. I think, you know, hindsight's obviously a brilliant thing, but, you know, it wasn't working under Daniel Farker. That Leeds game at home and we lost 2-1. They had to make a decision. I think, you know, whether it's the right decision is up for debate, but I think at the time it was completely justifiable, the decision they made. So and what's happened is we've gone from Daniel Farker, a very emotional, charismatic character who had a real relationship with the fans, to Dean Smith, who, you know, he's obviously a, a, a decent bloke, but, you know, is perhaps a bit sort of, yeah, less emotion, doesn't have that attachment to the same degree. And I think a lot that's, I think that's sort of almost strengthening the sort of feeling, sort of an, an angry feelings towards him, if anything, whereas under Farkas or, you know, people were sort of, you know, they, they understood, understood more if, if, if we lost, he was quite honest with the press, etc. So I think that's intensified the reaction. Um, is it an overreaction? I, I think on, on balance, yes, we are one game in. Remember the season in 2018-19, we, you know, we were shipping goals left, right and centre, losing 4-3 at home to West Brom. Um, we got off to a really poor start under Farker, sort of, yeah, but sort of in the, in the relegation zone at the first international break. So I'd say on balance from what I've seen, I think, you know, we've had quite a level-headed sort of balance discussion here, but I think social media, there has been a bit of an overreaction, but, you know, I think we'll know a lot more after the Wigan game next week. And if we don't get something there, then I think, you know, fans sort of, you know, saying, you know, when's this going to work? And, you know, is, is Smith the right man? I think they will be sort of more justified. So it's difficult to tell at this stage. And I am sort of one of those in the camp firmly that it is 
the first game of the season and that, you know, time will tell the players, like you mentioned, Milo Rashica, who, you know, should be brilliant at this level, can deliver, play, you know, Puka will start scoring goals. Someone like Josh Sargent should, you know, spend nine million on him. You'd think that he should be able to deliver in the championship. And I think from here, like you mentioned, Sam, there are always sort of two directions of travel. Either the new signings come in, really sort of fit the system that Smith clearly wants to play and we do that, or we go back to the more direct system that we saw actually have relative success in the Premier League in that January window when we played Adam Ryder and Timmy Puki up top, beat Everton at home, went to Watford and beat them 3-0. It's not brilliant to watch and, you know, everyone prefers, I think, to watch sort of more sort of, you know, principled, fluent passing football. But equally, if that's not going to get Norris City out of the Championship, then I'm open to more pragmatic suggestions. So um, I think it's going to be really fascinating when these new signings come in, probably in a month we'll have a closer idea when everyone's sort of back fit, sort of available, um, sort of where Norris City go from here because it's a real dilemma at the minute. Yeah, it is. And it's um, it's fascinating to see the, see the reaction. I think one thing that is clear, and uh, I keep mentioning kind of that 16-17 season under Alex Neal, patience feels like it will wear out pretty quickly if Norwich City don't get going. Um, maybe as opposed to, it felt like two years ago, they kind of had the, Daniel Varka had enough credit in the bank to in, in order for them to have a slow start. And that was, I think, one win in four. And the first season where they went on to win the title, it was one in six. And then to completely contrast that, in that kind of 16-70 season, I think they lost one of their opening 12. And as we said, finished outside the playoffs and Alex Neal was was gone by March. So it's very difficult to draw any hard and fast conclusions on the opening game. But it is because of the context and what has gone before and the elements of the performance and the new prob- and the problems, the fact the problems aren't new, sorry. Um, all of that is a culmination and as kind of a, uh, a mixture, I suppose, as a cocktail, as, as, as left people, I would say, with a bit of a sour taste after this weekend. And rightly sort of raise some concerns. I guess the, the question now is how about how Dean Smith and Norwich City go about replying to those um, criticisms and those problems and how about how they go about addressing them, obviously starting with Wigan next week. Um, Sam, if we focus on some of the positives yesterday, and I, I kind of mentioned him earlier on, Todd Campwell. I mean, again, we, we, we've spoken about sort of continuations of themes for the wrong reasons in pre-season. This felt like another step forward for him in, in a 10 role in a 4-2-3-1. Look creative. And we kind of we've spoken about frustration. There were plenty of times that he was basically dropping into his own part, own half to get the ball off the centre backs, which kind of maybe um highlights Norwich City struggles with the ball and in possession. But on the whole, came closest to, to scoring for Norwich City, probably beyond Kenny McLean hitting the bar with that curling shot. There was a lot to like in that performance from from Todd Cantwell. Yeah, I thought he was he was really good. Um I gave him in my player ratings a six and looking back, I think that was quite um, unfair because the reality was there wasn't a a huge amount of end product. But when you look at how the players around him performed, I think that's much easier to understand with a little bit more perspective. I thought he was absolutely full of endeavour. He looked like he wanted to, and you, you referenced it with how deep he dropped to come and collect the ball off the defenders. Um, It felt like he wanted to be in goal in, in, at the heart of defence receiving the ball in midfield and then finishing it off in the box. I think he he was one of few players um, very willing to take that responsibility that uh, Kenny McLean spoke at length about following the match. And I think seeing that player willing to take the ball by the horns and actually try and make something happen was really refreshing in a team of players that almost, you know, as we've referenced before, sort of felt like, they were out on the pitch and they were good players, so it was bound to happen. It was bound to work out. Campbell was the only one at times that looked like he he realised, OK, we might not score if I don't try and do something here. And um, I thought there were some really good technical moments. I remember one quite early on in the first half, deep in his own half, 
slid in, uh, made the sort of tackle that I don't think he's generally associated with. And then under a lot of pressure, um, some really tidy footwork got him out of a hole and, and sort of set Norwich away on the counter. And I think that was, that's an area that he can be um, really important and a real asset is resisting the press because there's a lot of there's a lot of teams in this league that will press and be aggressive. Um, Cardiff were one of those sides at their best. And I think Steve Morrison referenced how much he wanted them to do that. Cantwell seems like the sort of player that not only has the temperament and the level-headed confidence to to play out in that situation, but also the the technical quality, which I think is lacking in the likes of maybe Josh Sargent um, at times. So, yeah, I think there was a lot to to be excited about. I think he can play a really key role, but much like Pukki, you know, Campbell is supposed to be the one providing service, but he can't he can't swap positions with Grant Handley and take the ball off Tim Krul short from a goal kick and take the ball all the way up to the edge of the box where he can supply Tamer Pukki. As much as Pukki needs, support, needs uh, supplying in on goal, Campbell needs supplying in that final third to try and find that pass and with some of the construction of the play and the lack of willingness among some of the players to to make that happen. I don't know if Campbell is going to be utilised as long as Norwich don't improve. I don't think he's going to be utilised as much as he needs to be to be the, the key asset that he could be for Norwich. Yeah, yeah, agreed. And and I think we, we kind of spoke earlier about solutions to to their creativity issues. He does feel like he's probably part of that solution. He's not the sole solution, absolutely not, because um, we've seen before at Norwich City what a reliance on on one player can do. It needs to be a collective improvement. But, Will, just, just kind of your thoughts on, on Campwell. I mean, there would have been many people towards the end of last season who would have thought you, you were pretty pretty mad if you were saying, right, on the opening day of, of next season, Todd Campwell will, will not only still be at Norwich City, but he'll also be starting and probably their best player on the day. I mean, uh, it, it kind of shows that this redemption arc that he's been on throughout pre-season is continuing in, in, in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, he's obviously a brilliant player. You know, everyone knows about his ability and his talent. I mean, look at, you know, how he blossomed towards the end of the 18-19 season, coming in and playing in that in that three behind TV Pukki and then, you know, sort of, you know, propelling himself into the national spotlight with a series of brilliant performances in the Premier League the year after it. So, it's been it's hard to identify sort of what's happened to him over the last sort of year or two, whether it be, you know, a lot of people blame sort of off-field issues and social media and attitude. It seems a bit harsh. So no one really knows what's going on behind the scenes. But, you know, I wrote my first pink and column on him this week. And I think he's going to be a really important player for us. And, you know, everybody knows it's the evidence is there that a fit and firing and focused Todd Campbell is, you know, arguably Norwich City's best player with Emi Buendia now gone. And I think if anyone's going to, you know, fill that void, like you mentioned, Sam, with, with Buendia now, now Aston Villa, then Campbell, Campbell is probably the closest we've got. But equally, that is just one small part of the Norwich City jigsaw and, you know, he needs, you know, players like a, a Kenny McLean or somebody like an Oliver Skip or Alex Tetty to, you know, provide that protection and that, you know, passing sort of um, sort of radar behind him for him to get the ball in, in those pockets of space in advanced position for him to provide that service to Timmy Puki. So um, I think, you know, he, he can be a really important player for us. He looked really good at Celtic Park last weekend as well. Again, was one of our best players yesterday. Um, so I think he was probably one of the very few positives. The only other one that I probably wanted to highlight was Andrew Bamadelli, who I mentioned, who I think, you know, is going to be a massive player for us. Um, you know, Ben Gibson's obviously been there, done that in the championship, was a key part of the side that got us up a couple of years ago. But it seems as though clearly he's leapfrogged him in Dean Smith and Craig Shakespeare's pecking order. Uh, I think he could be a really key player. But um, I think that other than those two, there were a huge number of positives to take from yesterday. But I um, no, completely agree in terms of Campwell. And um, fingers crossed that, you know, we continue to play a system or at least implement 
an enhanced system that can uh, that can be sort of conducive to the way that he, he plays football. We live Norwich City. The builder. The passion. The drama. The last minute winners. The debate. That's why we've created Pink and Plus. The app that takes you beyond the headlines. With exclusive columns, blogs, podcasts and videos, we've got you covered. Subscribe today. Pink and Plus. Stay ahead of the game. Download now on the App Store and on Google Play. Absolutely. It's, it's incredible that Andrew Pamadelli is only just 20 as well. I think he was 20 June, wasn't he? So that's that's staggering, the maturity that he plays with. I mean, there's been a lot of pressure that's been heaped on his very, very young shoulders, um, but he just seems to to not particularly look phased by it or affected by it, just kind of strolls through games. There was one moment in the first half yesterday where he uh, took the ball out from the back and sort of surged forward and, and progressed Norwich up the pitch. It was it was a wonderful bit of play. Uh, I don't think Norwich did anything with the ball subsequently, but um, he, he, there was at least that attempt to get Norwich up the pitch. And Sam, I guess from other um, positive standpoints, I mean, we've, we've spoken a lot, probably for as long as I can remember, really, about Norwich City and their defensive record and structure and... How uh, and usually the debate that we've kind of had in the first half of the show is usually flipped. It's usually Norwich City are very capable at scoring goals, but it's the other end that they have struggle. They have sort of problems and, uh, and struggles with. Yesterday it, it, they looked more structured. I thought out of, out of possession. I thought, uh, as I kind of said earlier on, it was much more identifiable what they were trying to do without the ball than it perhaps was with the ball. When they 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 had that sort of half an hour spell where they were pressing well and. They obviously forced that opportunity that Ryan also saved from, from Todd Campwell. Um, there was a lot of energy. Physically, they looked pretty good. They looked very fit, very capable. Um, so if you use that as a base and as a structure, and I think evidence shows in this league, if you can be relatively tight at the back, then maybe no City don't need a completely dramatic uplift in terms of output at the other end of the pitch. They just need to be consistent in terms of the goals that they're scoring. But if you're Dean Smith, that at least gives you a base to work from as you try and find some solutions to their attacking issues. Yeah, that's absolutely true. But, um, you know, as we we discussed, I've covered five competitive games now and I've seen one goal. So, you know, it takes at least one to win a game for anyone that wasn't aware of that, that fact. Um, and they're not getting close to those numbers yet. It's also difficult when, yes, structurally and generally, I thought they were very good defensively Norwich yesterday and they didn't really look threatened at any point. The only goal that Cardiff had wasn't, it wasn't a chance really, was it? It was just a, a fantastic finish that, well, Dean Smith would obviously call it lucky, but I thought it was a, a very good finish from Romain Sawyers. But this is the problem really, is that you switch off for, you switch off for two seconds, which is what Jakob Sorensen did and Max or, Max Ahrens did it in the lead up to the goal when uh, Callum O'Dowda beat him as well you switch off for two seconds and that's what can happen at the, the highest levels of football yes it may not happen as regularly as it does in the Premier League maybe against Manchester City there would have been two or three of those goals popping in had Norwich sort of fell asleep like they did for that moment but you know the fact was nobody put Romain Sawyers under pressure he's got a, a a decent shot on goal and he's a very good professional footballer there's always a, a decent chance that that's going to happen so yeah structurally and um tactically i think it's it's um that that's not going to be a problem and i think that's the the real encouraging sign from this because i think that's more difficult to construct as a team it's more difficult 
to construct a team that doesn't concede many chances than it is to just tell your players to switch on. But nevertheless, it is something they need to improve on. And if Jakob Sorensen is going to feature in that defensive midfield role again, and he's going to have uh, you know, strong competition whenever Isaac Hayden does return, he really can't let that happen again. And, you know, Norwich as a defence need to remember well, basically to switch on. And I know that's, you know, that's a very basic and simple thing to say, but that shows you how poor it is when it does happen. And they need to eliminate those those mistakes. Um, as soon as they do that, you know, as you referenced, I think they look quite solid. They look, they look quite hard to beat. And with some of the championship's best defenders, that's easy to explain. But um, yeah, they just need to cut out those errors. And, and then I think those problems are... are slightly resolved and probably nothing to worry about if they want to be up there come the end of the season. Yeah, and you see this quite a lot with teams, actually, that when they try and focus on one end of the pitch, often the other one gets affected in a negative fashion. Um, so, again, maybe the focus has been on ensuring that they're a bit tighter at the back and maybe, uh, again, I haven't been in training, so it's hard to say, but coaching a team to be attacking uh, to be fluent when they're attacking and, and chance creation, scoring a goal is that sort of old adage, isn't it? Scoring a goal is the hardest thing to do in football. Um, that is that is probably harder at this moment in time to construct from a solid base rather than perhaps having a team that uh, is kind of consistent in scoring goals but needs to tighten up at the other end. And you kind of take one away from one end and it can affect the other and, and, and all of that kind of balance that we spoke about earlier on the show. But I don't want to sort of cover old ground. Um, well, what, what did you think of, of Jacob Sorensen yesterday? Because it was we, we've seen a lot of him in positions that aren't natural to him. We've seen him play at left-back. We've seen him play at centre-back. Um, we haven't seen too much of him play in central midfield, which is obviously the position that he was recruited to play for. I mean, my my take is... Um, and the goal probably showed he was a little bit too passive, I felt, in terms of actually getting to remain Sawyers. But there were points in the game where he either overcommitted uh, in certain phases of play or didn't quite press well enough to reduce the space, as showed by the, the goal he conceded. Um, what did you make of him in that role? Because I think I, I get the sense there's been quite a clamour to see him in, in that position and to see what he can do. And maybe there's been a little bit of confusion and, and questions asked about why he isn't in that role more consistently what did you make of his performance and what do you make of that role moving forward with obviously what we've spoken about already about Isaac Hayden coming back towards the end of the month or uh, towards the end of August all being well uh, different midfield options coming in did he do enough in your view to to kind of nail down that position uh, in, in, into the next few weeks I suppose when there is an opportunity there yeah, I think he's a really he's a really interesting player and a really interesting example. Obviously, I yeah, came in and slotted in seamlessly in that left back role where he'd never played in his life a couple of years ago, and you know really you know took the position by storm and really impressed our City fan. And then obviously, yeah, last year I remember he sort of came in at centre back against Manchester United, I think, and had a really assured decent game. And like you said, there is this sort of clamour and desire to see him in his in his sort of natural position. I think for me, when you look at him, he does look a little bit sort of lightweight. I don't I don't know if that's sort of harsh or not, but you look at the players of playing that position with Kenny McLean before and, you know, you're Alex Tetty and Oliver Skips and there's that real sort of competitiveness, robust base, whereas, you know, and Kenny can sort of get forward a bit more and there's, you know, that element of trust and protection behind him. I think with Sorensen, he doesn't fill me with a huge amount of confidence. I think he's, you know, his, his passing range is OK. It's interesting that Dean Smith said he'd like to see him pass the ball forward a bit more and he's quite sort of conservative in the decisions that he makes and I think that's, that's sort of bang on. But just from a physical point of view... I don't know if he is that player that, you know, can sit in front of the back four if we're playing either a 4-2-3-1 or in a three as well. I don't know if he is that player that, you know, can really, you know, help City sort of mount a real sort of surge for surge for promotion. I think if you look at, yeah, who came before him, they probably were more sort of experienced, trustworthy sort of campaigners um, who, you know, 
offered more protection in front of that defence. And I think, like you said, he had a bit of a mixed game yesterday, Connor. I thought he actually started okay, I thought. I thought the first 10 or 15 minutes, he, he wasn't bad. But yeah, you mentioned for the goal and then the second half, he didn't really seem, I mean, it links to what we were saying earlier about sort of a, a lack of a, a complete plan for which He didn't seem completely 100% about what he was meant to be doing, be it overcommitting, pressing, undercommitting at certain times. So, you know, he's not, you know, he, he is by no means the issue. He is maybe one small part of the issue in terms of Norwich City's midfield dilemma. But I think going forward, I would like to see a player like Isaac, Isaac Hayden in that position with Kenny McLean um, rather than probably Torrance Sorensen or Jacob Sorensen. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, from, from kind of one midfielder to another, Sam, um, it looks like, uh, and obviously we've, we've had the story on our, our sites this morning about uh, Marcelino Nunez. There we go. I think I've said that right. Uh, the Chilean international midfielder who um, Norwich City have been heavily linked with. Um, I'm trying to pronounce the name of the team. Well, do I do it? I don't know. Kat, Kat, you're probably in a bad position to do this, right? Kata, go on, Sam, have a go. Tell me what it is. Catolica. There right? we go. There we go. Catolica. Um, their manager has, has effectively bid him a farewell. Uh, and uh, for anyone who's seen any clips of kind of his last appearance uh, or what is perceived to be his last appearance, there was a big standing ovation. Uh, the, obviously, there's some quotes from the coach that was quite emotional. So from uh, Maurizio Isla, who, who's had a career in, in Europe with Udinese, Juventus, uh, QPR, saying that he's, he's off to Europe as well. That destination, we believe, is is Norwich City. Um, Norwich have been obviously looking for a third midfield option after the departure of Pierre-Lace Malou, who, who left um, to, to head back to France earlier this month. Um, what what do you make of, of this one, Sam? Because um, it was kind of a lot of talk around Ishmael Kone last week, uh, the uh, Canadian international who plays for Montreal in, in the MLS. That has kind of fallen by the wayside sounds like kind of a, a failure to agree personal terms more than anything. Um, that then obviously kind of moved this uh, pursuit on a little bit. Another potential recruit from South America, we've kind of had that old conversation about Norwich City expanding the kind of their operations in that area. It's obviously a, a market that they feel there's a lot of value in, but Chilean international midfielder played in the Chilean Premier League. I mean, probably a lot of the conversation around him is similar to what we had around Gabriel Sara, right? In terms of it comes down to how he adapts and how quickly he can kind of get up to speed with the league. But on the surface of it, what, what do you make of this addition and, and what do you think he will bring to Norwich City's midfield, given obviously what we've spoken about in, in the first 41 minutes of the show? He looks like a very technically capable player and I'd suggest he's more likely to bring that creative profile maybe than Gabriel Sara will. I think Sara is maybe more than people are, are currently realising going to bring a, a physical presence. Um, but, you know, Nunez is, is only... Uh, five for eight. He's not been being brought in to, you know, play that similar role. I think something worth referencing is his energy. Um, Dean Smith does place a lot of stock in running stats. He's spoken at great length about Sarah's running stats, actually. But it shows you that that when he talks about athleticism and needing to improve that in the Norwich squad, he doesn't just mean size and and muscle. He means you know the ability to to go, you know, play at high percentages of effort for longer in matches. And I think that's what um, Nunez will bring. But that's, you know, that's the, the boring side of things. I think the good thing is that he looks like a pretty creative attacking player. And, um, you know, if Gabriel Sara isn't going to bring that, I think maybe people were quite keen. And that showed you how much people wanted that player to crowbar him into that role. But I think Nunez looks like somebody that's going to be more likely to to occupy that position 
is something that I think Norwich desperately need. I don't know if internally they think it's as important as maybe I do, but I, I hope he's going to add the ability to beat players, you know, spark something, hopefully the ability to play a decent through ball because, you know, for all of Cantwell's strengths and he, he played a nice couple of diagonals and little chip balls, there were a couple of balls which he could have played through. Um, there was one at Celtic which could have gone through to Puki that, that didn't. Um, and then there was one, I thought Sargent would have been in a great position if Cantwell could have slotted him through down the right side in the second half yesterday. Um, so I don't know if that's one of his strengths. And Puki is absolutely crying out for somebody that can that can do that. So I, I would hope that that's something that's in his repertoire. He looks more likely to be able to do that than a lot of the players at Norwich have in that position at present. But yeah, he looks more of that profile. And I think that's absolutely good news for Norwich City fans. And it's probably even better news for uh, Tamer Puki. Yeah, I, I I always um I always stray away from from YouTube supercuts. Uh, I think <laughs> I, I tried to anyway. Um, I, I can't remember which, but it might have been Johan Elmander that I watched once. And was like, wow, what a player Norwich City have got in their hands here. And obviously that didn't pan out in the right way. And I think since then I've kind of uh, told myself just to stray away from that. I, I have, however, seen one goal which was a a volley with his left foot. I think which was an absolute stormer. I mean, it was um, not too dissimilar from. Alex Tetti's against Sunderland all those years ago in the Premier League. Um, it was it was excellent, but beyond that, I haven't I haven't seen too much. I've read a lot about him. I've kind of had a look um, at various statistics and stuff. It looks like he's he's quite tenacious. He's not the biggest player in the world, but looks like he plays with intensity. And I guess Will he's got that added extra of being a completely unknown quantity, which seems to create more excitement around the signing. Certainly from my perspective, at least. Anyway. Yeah, I'm really excited about. I mean, who can't, you know, Norwich, you know, delving into the South American market for an attacking midfielder. It's just, you know, every fan's dream pretty much. I mean, like you said, it is it's just a complete unknown quantity. You know, you look at players like Christoph Zolis or someone like Yannick Wilchu, who had done real highlights real from memory when we signed him from Wigan and you know, look what's happened to him since. Uh, or he could be, you know, you mentioned that word tenacity with that real technical ability, massive shoes to fill, but you know, they sound like the characteristics of everyone dear. So I think, you know, the real question is, you know, how will he adapt to life in the championship? That Saturday, Tuesday, relentless nature, the physicality. Teams are obviously going to press him high and be sort of, yeah, very physical and look to close him down. Um, I think, yeah, like you mentioned with his stats and sort of, I've seen that goal as well, that sort of left-footed thunderbolt. You know, clearly, you know, the ability is there. Um, the real question is, you know, can, can he do it? Can he do it in the championship in English football? And like links to what I said sort of earlier before, there is a lot of pressure on his young shoulders and Gabriel Sara as well um, to really come in and adapt, and adapt quickly. Because like you mentioned, Sam, I'd like to think, the club are, you know, acutely aware as much as we are, the, you know, the, how important it is to get a player in that position who can serve as Timmy Puki um, is, you know, is fundamentally the, probably the main issue that we've been discussing. So I think, you know, will it work? I think it probably has to work if, you know, Norwich City are going to mount any sort of charge for promotion um, playing this style of football, because as it stands, we don't have a player who can do that. Like you mentioned, Campwell probably is the closest we've got, but there were a couple of moments yesterday in pre-season where, you know, maybe he didn't make the right decision. Uh, but I think in, in Nunez, he we've got to have our fingers crossed that he can be that player. So I'm really excited by it. Um, and yeah, fingers crossed, you know, everything gets over the line and, you know, we see him, you know, sooner rather than later because it's exactly what Norris City need at the moment. Absolutely. I think reports in Chile suggest that he's uh, he's due to travel to to, to Europe um, or, or to England uh, to, to sort of finalise that move. Um, obviously, Chilean reports suggesting Norris City very heavily. I would agree with those reports. Um, let's see where we are in the, in the next few days. And who knows, potentially we'll be talking about him uh, as an option for, for Wigan, depending on, obviously, uh, 
a deal getting done first and foremost, which is the most important thing before we have that that conversation. Um, it, it's just struck me that we've got 46 minutes into the show and we've not even talk, sort of spoken about the the mass melee that went on in, in the second half that led to four yellow cards. I think three for Cardiff, one for Norwich. I've kind of watched it back. I think Andrew Omavamadeli and Max Aarons in particular are very fortunate not to have uh, got their names into the book. But um, Sam, that, that kind of incident led to the yellow cards of Perry NG first and foremost, but also of, of Grant Hanley. Both of them saw red um, for, for second bookings for, for different instances thereafter. Both kind of silly fouls, actually. Um, quite soft, <laughs> in truth, both of them. Um, what what did you make of kind of those decisions and, and that more generally? Because, uh, I mean, I'm not really sure. I've got to be honest, I watched it back this morning. Not really sure why Perry NG goes down holding his face when he gets pushed in the chest. That's quite... I mean, if he's getting pain in his head when someone's pushed him in the chest, he probably needs a doctor, doesn't he, I would suggest? Yeah, I'm not sure what that was about and neither was Dean Smith in his post-match press conference. But um, yeah, Smith actually fully said that Grant Hanley was, you know, it was fair for him to be sent off. I'm not particularly sure about the second yellow and uh, having watched the replay of the the melee, I, I'm I'm struggling on the first yellow, to be honest. I think it was, I did watch the club's highlights. Uh, I don't think they were likely to include um, many explicit replays of Hanley doing whatever he did, but I found it pretty difficult to pick out what he's done differently to a number of players that were involved in that, as you said. Well, it, it also, was... so to get across, but he actually, the one angle I saw of it this morning, actually looks like Andrew Ramadelli is the man who pushes, yeah. pushes Perry NG rather than Grant Hanley. And yet he's, he's gone into the book. So I think he's, he's almost been booked for NG's reaction more than anything else, which seems quite harsh. Yeah. But you know, that's what you get in the championship, isn't it really? And you know, I don't like to just bash referees, but, it is their job and they are, you know, they're getting paid significantly to do much, much better than Tim Robinson did at the Cardiff City Stadium yesterday. Um, I think that was a, that highlighted the, you know, coming back down to earth that championship refereeing is. I'm not saying it's fantastic in the Premier League, but it's it's definitely a, a little way above that. And we've had a couple of interesting conversations where I've maybe defended VAR and I feel like yesterday was a, I think it might have been one one nil to Sam in that, that situation, to be honest. Um, but uh, yeah, I think it's it's something Norwich are going to have to contend with throughout the season. Kenny McLean spoke about it after the match, and and Dean Smith actually felt that his his side handled the emotional side of the the occasion pretty well. But Norwich are going to be the favourites in most matches that they they play. They're going to be the bigger club in most of the matches that they play, and teams aren't going to have any problems going down, holding, holding their face when they've been pushed in the chest or, you know, taking a minute and a half to take a throw in. That's going to be something that Norwich are going to have to get used to and they're going to have to cope with that um, because there will be games where they'll be 1-0 down again and they'll have to collect themselves and try and find a way through without um, being impacted by that. So I think Norwich's ability to, to deal with those sorts of situations is going to be something that's going to have an impact as the the whole championship season pans out because it's something they didn't really have to deal with a lot last season. I can't remember the the number of times they were in the lead, but I don't think it was loads. Um, And it was something they didn't have to worry about. But yeah, I I think that whole melee, that whole situation, it was uh, was quite needless. Felt like a lot of handbags about nothing. Um, And 
yeah, it's not not a side of the the game that I particularly love, especially when we have to dissect it and try and work out which players have done what. I think it was they were all almost as bad as each other. Although, yeah, I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't promote Ng's behaviour. I think if I had done that on a Sunday League pitch, I would have been very embarrassed very quickly. There's an irony that that was that was the closest a lot of Norwich City players got to Timu Puki all afternoon. Um, but but we'll, we'll part that. Thank you. Um, I, I yeah. I mean, to be fair, I mean you've you've kind of spoken about Tim Robinson. I wasn't actually going to mention him, but I, I will kind of close that. I've 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 not really. I've got to be honest. Seen him referee a game particularly well at any point. He's been in the championship for a long time now, and given the uh, constant move up of referees, if you've made, stayed at that level for quite a period of time without ever really getting pushed into the Premier League. I think you probably look at yourself as an official and go, am I good enough? Um, possibly. There were some very questionable decisions, although in his defence, I, I did feel he got the bookings for that right. I think all the players he booked probably should have been booked in, in that melee, um, with the exception probably of Omar Ramadelli and, and Aarons, who probably should have found themselves in the book, but didn't. Um but you know that, that that is what it is. He probably didn't see a lot of it, to be honest, because it was what twenty-two players involved, and there were separate incidents at the same time. So that 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 is what it is, really. Um, Will, let's let's end with you then. After this game, how are you feeling more widely about Norwich City this season in the Championship? I mean, we've kind of spoken about this game in isolation, but is there a confidence from your perspective that? they will be able to to get going in the right direction, that they will be able to fix some of the issues that we've spoken about over the last hour or so? Or is that concern from yesterday something that you feel could prolong in, in the weeks ahead? Uh, I think, yeah, over the last 24 hours, I definitely have become more concerned. I'm not going to you know lie about that. So I really thought, you know, having been in Scotland last weekend where it wasn't great, you know, some of my mates say, you know, it wasn't brilliant, but I think things will click for, 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 the, for the first game of the season. I really had confidence they would. Having seen, you know, a continuation and a maintenance of those those themes, the lack of cohesion, the lack of creativity, the lack of any clear plan, it has definitely amplified my concern. I can't lie about that. And I am quite nervous about, about the Wigan game because I do feel like, as we mentioned, for various factors that we've discussed, Pressure is mounting on D. Smith and Craig Shakespeare quite rapidly. And I think a home defeat or anything but three points at home will really sort of heighten that atmosphere among fans that, you know, maybe he's not the right man for the job. So I, that said, I do have a degree of confidence that things will get better. They can only get better. They have to get better because, you know, yesterday is one of the sort of most toothless lack of cutting edge in our city attacking performances I remember seeing for a long time. Um, so I'm hopeful that the new signings we've discussed, the addition of, you know, a, a beefy sort of experienced presence in Ida Caden in front of the back four, can really sort of bolster Norwich's midfield and then, you know, plugging that gap in terms of the creativity. I'm, I'm really hopeful that, you know, maybe the addition of, you know, Kieran Dow when he's available as well and the two signings um, that we've mentioned um, can really sort of start to service Timmy Buki. I, I do think, you know, all, all issues aside and however bad yesterday was, I do think that it's not the strongest championship we've ever seen. I know Burnley looked, you know, impressive on Friday night. Middlesbrough will be up there, probably West Brom, um, Sheffield United as well, who are playing today. But I, I, I do struggle to see Norwich not being in and around the top six. I, it, obviously, looking at yesterday, it's not going to be anywhere near as easy as it has been the last couple of times where we've romped the title. But um, I, I do, like I said, I'm normally relatively optimistic, and I, you know, I like to give managers and players the benefit of the doubt. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that we can beat Wigan on Saturday, see a sort of, you know, slightly more polished sort of, um, you know, creative performance. And um, with these new signings coming in throughout the next few weeks, you know, really start to sort of, yeah, pick up, pick up sort of a bit of form. But uh, that said, you know, there are issues and I'm not blind to those, but uh, I'm hopeful we can, uh, we can sort of turn our fortunes around. 
Sam, final word from you uh, on the pod. Let's end with something positive. Give me something positive to end the pod on. A couple of lovely kits um, for, for, Nor- <clears throat> for Norwich fans to enjoy. I thought Ono Hernandez was relatively promising, probably had more of an impact than um, I was expecting from him for most of this season. So, yeah, there we go. I feel, I feel like that's that's enough. It's only We've still got 45 to go and Norwich have been terrible at the start of the season before and then been promoted. There you go. There Three we go. Reasons. Three reasons that- to be optimistic. That's not bad at all. That's not bad at all. And that's uh, that's the perfect note to end the pod on. We've got 41 weeks of the season remaining, folks. So there's still plenty of time for Norwich City to to turn it around. 45 games, in fact. And we all know with the championship, uh, one thing is for sure, you can't say anything with absolute certainty, given the way that it, it twists and turns. That concludes the show for this week. Sam, thank you very much for joining me. Will, thank you very much for, for stepping in on this week's show. Brilliant to have you with us. And uh, you can uh, read Will's com- uh, columns throughout this season um, with us. Uh, I think they'll be on our website, on our app, uh, in print as well. So make sure to keep your eye out for those um, through, uh, across the campaign. And hopefully, Will, they'll be a bit more positive than, than our, our conversation has been over the last uh, 55 minutes or so. Thank you very much for listening. Fingers crossed for a positive result next weekend against Wigan. Uh, enjoy your week. Let's hope that Norwich City can uh, get a deal for a certain Chilean midfielder over the line. And uh, hopefully those uh, optimism banks will be um, relatively renewed as we head to Carrow Road next weekend. Thanks for listening. See you soon.